Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Welcome to the latest edition of Hear That Podcast, Growlin, Paul Jr. and Jay Morrison of The Athletic are here with you. It's a beautiful, crisp Tuesday morning as we record this. Hope everybody is doing well. Jay, how are you? Sad. Sad. Very, very sad. Why? Our Battle of the Bricks got canceled tonight. I was all set to have a Tuesday night watch of OU and Miami, and normally we go to that game, so that was out the window, but I thought I still thought I was going to be able to watch the game, and one more thing that Corona has robbed from us, the, the joy of watching OU Miami. 2020 is the gift that keeps on giving, you know. It's all right. Things are looking up, Jay. The year's almost over, and everything's magically going to be great, apparently, uh, on January 1st, right? So we can always have that, maybe. maybe. What if 2021 makes 2020 look like, I don't know, pick the greatest year of your life? I mean, uh, any happiness that happens at this point feels doubly happy (laughs) because you've been entrenched in the sadness. So it's like, you know, it's like when you have that first piece of candy after you... And after the like, have you ever did Lent? Did you ever do Lent? I did growing right? up. Yes, it was like whatever. It was like whatever you gave up over those forty days. You know, it would be like the greatest thing you ever had when you were finally able to have again. Whether it was candy or I mean, you never did anything crazy like give up beer or anything like that. But I mean, no, I was too young to when I when I celebrated Lent. I was far too young to yes, drink. Right, uh, or like people that go on fasts. I don't understand that. Ooh. Yeah, I don't understand that at all. Uh, but anyway, didn't seem to hear nor that. But that's what that's what it will be. Happiness will be the candy after giving it up for Lent. Uh, going forward, that's my philosophical thought on the day. We have I other philosophical right. thoughts. They're Bengals related. Um, we got some things we want to get to. We're gonna talk a little bit about AJ Green as it becomes kind of thrust back into the forefront after he goes without a catch um, while playing eighty three percent of the snaps. Uh, I can say again, <laughs> because we were without a catch earlier this year as well uh, in the game against Baltimore, and it's uh, you know, you're you're seeing it, folks. We've talked a lot about it, but this is kind of what it looks like. Um, we want to talk a little bit about what his role could, should, will look like going forward. Um. We want to revisit and look forward the critical stretches in the season, the gauntlet, uh, as we sort of dubbed it, the five-game stretch that the Bengals underwent. We 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 wondered how they would come out of it, and if they could find a way to scratch out a few wins, hang on for dear life, it could set themselves up for a second half of the season that looked very winnable. We're going to revisit what we thought on that, how it went, and then, in particular, what the next stretch, what's the opposite of a gauntlet? 
Just a walk in the park. Cakewalk, yeah. Yeah, cakewalk. Ooh, I love cake. Cakes, cake would fall into that category. <laughs> yes, Things it would. that will taste better. Uh, but, you know, so I, I think we want to look at that, the next stretch as well after kind of looking at how they came out of the gauntlet. Um, we'll do some quick hits on a number of different topics. Tack, DeAndre Baker potential, Joe Burrow's health, offensive line, uh, Pittsburgh laughing at the Bengals. Um, maybe even I'm going to do it, Jay. I'm going to do a little draft talk. I'm 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 gonna do it. You know what? I'm just doing it. <laughs> Two six and one. You're gonna get a touch, just a touch, just a teaser, just a scotch, just a eh, eh, a little bit, just a little bit of draft talk. Uh, just just for the people, because I know people want it and they're thirsting. Just a little. Uh, and I've got bad news for us, Jay, on the growler bet. Good news for a listener. Uh, which we we will also get to, which which embroiled in controversy, I shall say. Potentially embroiled in controversy. You don't think? You, I, I think there should be some controversy here, but that's it's fair. I'm 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 willing to. We'll talk this through when we get to the end. Um, and of course, the growler coming up Thursday. Ben Standing from Washington, our our insider, uh, with the football team will be joining us uh, to talk a little bit about what's going on there as they're going through struggles of their own under new coach Ron Rivera. Uh, we'll have the growler bet for the weekend and so, 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 so much more. So make sure you come back on Thursday for that. And if you're not a subscriber to The Athletic, we hope you will join. If you are, I think we feel like we can make it worth your while and worth your money. Uh, if you're not, Take a, take a free trial, take a free spin, see what you think, or just join. We'd love to have you. Go to theathletic.com slash hear that podcast ground and subscribe. Uh, all right. A.J. Green goes for the second time this year playing and not catching a ball. This time plays a full 83% of the snaps, five targets, no catches against the Steelers. A lot went wrong against the Steelers. A lot of guys weren't open. But, you know, four of the last five games, T. Higgins has been the team's leading receiver. It's been Boyd Higgins, Boyd Higgins. And there's a clear there's a clear drop-off from Joe Burrow's trust and chemistry level in the passing game right now. Higgins and Boyd and then everybody else, and that includes A.J. Green. It just there's just nothing doesn't seem to be anything happening. There's certainly nothing over the top. It looks clunky. Uh, even when it does happen, AJ still has catch ability, catch radius, but there's no separation. There's there's no dynamic playmaking. Um, it always feels like laboring when he gets involved. And then sometimes he doesn't get involved. Meanwhile, behind him, you have Mike Thomas and Auden Tate, who have their who are pedestrian in their own rights, um, but are different. And maybe could give you some more consistency and have had their moments with Joe Burrow, although neither really had their moments with Joe Burrow against Pittsburgh. Again, much like most did. Here's the question. If you can, I mean, how long do you go at 83% of the snaps with A.J. Green until you consider giving somebody else a little bit more of a cut just to see what it looks like? Because... While you've gotten some production in spurts, and certainly there's been big moments, and he's had some big catches, you, the the inconsistency makes you wonder: should should they be making him more of a rotational piece? 
Should they be doing something else with him to try to get him going? And it's probably the last thing we should be talking about considering a lot of the other problems with this team. But I find it the most interesting as they try to figure out ways um, to move the ball and involve uh, a legend of their franchise. I mean, I think now is the time. Nine weeks would be the answer to your question. When do they start doing this? Or nine games, ten weeks. It's it's out the window now, the the excuse of no preseason, uh, a year and a half off. I mean, he should be up to speed by now. And and if if age is a factor, which it certainly looks like, he's not going to get spryer and faster and better on the second half of the year. Um, it, it just it, it feels like I, I keep going back to what Tim Brown said in the story I did on on aging wide receivers and and how they how they develop new skills, new new ways to run routes, new roles. And Tim Brown talked about that if, if you're the guy, you you cannot accept that new role and stay with your team. You you have a role in the locker room as well. And if you're if you're willing to accept a lesser role, people start looking at you. Um, I, I think that's part of what they're fighting there is that AJ is such a presence um, in this locker room and in this franchise. There's, I'm sure, there's some reluctance among the coaching staff of how how do we reduce this guy's role without upsetting the balance of of the locker room structure? But at some point, you you have, I mean, you can't. How many more of these games can you have when when you know Auden Tate can be productive? Mike Thomas to a lesser degree, but I mean, zero for five is just that. It's just we you you rarely see that from AJ Green. Uh, I I looked it up, and there were, there's only been three games when he played more than five snaps when he was held without a catch, and two of them have been this year. Uh, I think it's time to 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 start working those other guys into the rotation. Just to see, you don't have to like totally bench AJ Green. You don't have to cut his snaps in half, but but certainly reduce them a significant amount and see what these other guys can do in some of those roles where, where AJ green is not getting it done right now. Yeah. And you said it, it's hard to do. He's, he's AJ dream. He's the goat, right? Like that's anytime you ask a player on this team about this topic that you hear one of those two phrases, right? He is so revered in the locker room, particularly to those that have been around a little while. I mean, and to those that haven't, T. Higgins, this guy is his this guy is his absolute hero. He talked about it since the moment he got drafted. AJ Green has been his hero as a player, and to be on the same team and play with him has been this this dream. And you know, there there's more to it than just, okay, uh, maybe the other guys can be productive. We should give them a chance. The, you know, you can't you can't deface a guy who is looked at that way in a locker room that let's be honest, already has had its issues. <laughs> you know, we've already seen the Carlos Dunlap thing. We've, you know, we've had all kinds of speculation of others. There's just, it just has, are we going to go to, you're going to go down that path again. I don't think they want to. I think they have done everything in their power to make AJ Green comfortable and find let AJ Green find himself and find that role and do like you said maybe find some new ways to make plays or be involved and and for a minute there you thought you had it 
Indy. and not saying Indy, yeah, absolutely. You know, fourth down catches, big third downs. Burrow was finding them. The, the thing is, you see Burrow with such chemistry and comfort with Higgins and Boyd in big spots, in big games. You can just sense he's just looking for those two. And he's not looking for green. And I don't know if that's at a certain point, like <laughs> when you reach that moment in a game, you're just going to get your the truth will be revealed <laughs> of where you want to go and who you believe in as a quarterback. And it's not just where the defense dictates. Okay. Certain point, you're like, man, I don't know. I'm going to Higgins. I'm going to Boyd. I'm going to find a way to make that work for them because I trust and I have this this chemistry. And that just has never quite totally developed with AJ. And, may, and maybe there will be, still be some games. And maybe you can still find ways to make it work. But, you know, that just has never come along. And we've seen it in uh, spurts to, with Tate and with Thomas. And you're right. I mean, is it is that taking a shot at the guy? Is that going to uh, unleash frustration? Should we care? How much do you should you give to that if you really think that giving, you know, a twenty percent split extra to Tate in order to see if that can make the offense go a little bit more or Thomas whatever, and then and just give them a little bit more of a chance to see the difference, to have more of a gauge. You know what? How much should you consider it? How much should you not consider it? I, I it's kind of a tough spot. Um, because you just would prefer that AJ the AJ Green thing worked. Like that that would just really be the ideal situation. But I don't know how you look at 83% O for five and another run of games where they just can't seem to find a connection and not wonder, like, hey, should we be considering something else here? Well, and you wonder too if it's the the whole less is more thing, where if if AJ is playing fewer snaps, is he more productive on the ones that he's in there? If he's getting a little bit more of a rest between snaps on the sideline, does does that help? I, I, it can't hurt. I wouldn't think he's not a guy that like has to be into the flow of the game to be productive. I wouldn't think at this stage of his career, he, he's a professional. And the other thing is, I mean. The, the light should be on in his head. He's not breaking the bank this offseason. If that was his goal to come back from this injury and have this big year and, and sign this huge contract next year, that's pretty much off the table at this point. So it's it's not like he would he would have to feel any resentment in that regard that that they're costing him money by not playing him. Um, it, it, uh, it'd be interesting if we could get him on Zoom in, the, in these next couple uh, days to see where what his thought would be on that. He's probably not going to say, "Yeah, sure, give me a lesser role." But if if you could give him some truth serum, I wonder if he would would think that that would be a good idea to the whole less is more thing. And you talk, I mean, you talked about it. Tyler Boyd said it yesterday. He still called him the goat yesterday. Mm-hmm. And it, there there is just this reverence for him, um, and that's understandable. And, I mean, right. he's been he's been incredible. He's I've never felt more privileged to watch an athlete play in my life. To cover this team during this era and be able to watch this guy for this last decade has been one of the privileges of my professional career for that to be where it intersected. It's been incredible. The dude is ridiculous. Also, there's just realities, man. Like, there's just that it's, and he may still have some left in the tank and it just doesn't fit what's happening here. 
you know, that it can go both. It certainly goes both ways. And, and there's a lot of different factors in that, but it's, you know, it, that doesn't change the bottom line. It's just not happening. I mean, you're looking at a guy catching 45% of his passes. He's never, you know, the idea of dipping below the 50% range is, is insane for him. You know, he spent most of his career up around 60, 70. And then you're looking at a guy who's averaging 10.2 yards per reception who averaged about 15 his entire career and doesn't have a touchdown. You know, (laughs) these are – this is just what it is. And so – it's hard. It's these are these are hard decisions, and I, and I, you know, I don't. It's it's really easy to be like, ah, oh, they never should have you know, paying this guy eighteen million dollars. I don't blame them, and I think they still made the right call in bringing him back because you just didn't know what you had. And if he could have been AJ Green of, you know, of twenty eighteen. He's worth $18 million to what could make this offense go and what it could mean. But, you know, that was a risk worth taking, worth paying for, I would say, for one year. Um, it doesn't mean that was wrong. But, you know, right now the reality is that that's he's not that guy and they found out. And so how do you go forward? You mentioned A.J. dipping below 50%. I mean, he's he's well below it. He's he's 45.6. And I had this in, in my final thoughts column that I posted yesterday um that ranks 228th out of 230 players with at least 15 targets this season and and it's not like he's got some nobody chucking the ball to him i mean joe burrow's having a pretty good year for a rookie quarterback and that's just it's it that's just staggering to me that he that's where he ranks um among completion percentage which is receptions divided by targets it's just the, the the only two guys below him i've never even heard of and i play fantasy football i should know guys but um eagles wide receiver john hightower and jets wide receiver jeff smith are have lesser catch percentages it's uh, it's just it's really you you didn't expect him to be the aj of old after the injuries and everything but this this steep of a fall has has really been surprising we we have ripped on john ross for this stat uh, the last few years for it being awful, right? And it's like it just seems like it's always off with him and unable to make catches, and then it seems like there's just always some miscommunication. Last year he was at fifty percent. The year before thirty six point two, but I mean you know you combine those last two years and you're right around where AJ is right now, AJ Green, mm-hmm. and 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 that's at that is at a ten point two yards per reception. That is not because they're taking bombs. It's not because they're throwing deep, you know. That's at reasonable throws, and maybe that's part of it, you know. But it's are you better off with a guy like you know? And I'm not belaboring this, but Thomas, who at least he's got some speed and maybe some explosion over the top that you could try to hit, or Tate, who's you know maybe a similar type of player that maybe brings you something else. I don't know. I don't know. We'll we'll wrap it up. I won't keep going down the same road. But I think there's just as far as what they will do, you know. I. I don't know that it happens this week. I, I think they're not going to, you know, Zach sort of said, hey, look, there are going to be some weeks where a guy doesn't catch a ball and and, and other weeks where there's we're not going to overreact to it. When you have a deep receiving core, when you have other guys who are options, you're, you're not going to overreact. But I will say this, I think you could certainly see 
in the next couple of weeks if things continue to be in the vicinity of what we saw in Pittsburgh um, that maybe you'll see a different role emerge. Um, but that is, uh, I think that's where I think that's where they where they see it. Um, I, it's not something they want to do. They would prefer that this was just another blip, and it can go the same way the blip against Baltimore went. But um, you know, I, I don't think it's off the table. Yeah, the other thing, maybe get him in the slot more often and get him on smaller corners where he can use his his catch radius and his size, and the the speed isn't as big of a, a deal. But yeah, they they've got to figure some things out. Kind of like the run game last year when they they mixed that up at, at midseason. Um, it's they're they're going to have to pivot in one way, in some some form or fashion, with with how they use AJ this second half. All right, before we move on here, let's take a quick break. The Bengals come out of the gauntlet uh, that was the the five game stretch that we pinpointed as they had to find some way to hold on against a lot of teams that were projected and are still projected in a, in a, in a bundled AFC to be in, in the playoff picture. All those, all the teams they just played had at least have at least six wins, uh, at Baltimore, at Indy, Cleveland, Tennessee, Pittsburgh. It was like, Hey, they had to find a way to hold on and get to more winnable games in the back end of the season. Uh, we did a run passer boot on this. And leading into the gauntlet, we said run passer boot, uh, what would happen over the next five games? They would win between either zero and one, two, or three or more. Jay, you said you ran with two. You said that the most likely was two. You passed on zero to one and you booted three. We both booted three, but it's hard to be right sometimes. It is. It's. It's a curse. It's a cross. You know. Uh, I said I ran with zero to one, passed on two, and booted three. Just seemed like a lot to ask. Inevitably, our you know the win and loss came down to the and ones, the back to back Cincinnati and ones games, ninety five to one and fifty five to one uh, against Indy and Cleveland. And I think that's a two game stretch that you could very easily see them looking back on this season and just shaking their heads at how things could have felt and looked different. When one of those two games, you come out of that stretch with exactly what we talked about a hope, a chance. You know, you're not, you hang, you hung on and now you have a chance to stack wins if you would have come out there with just a couple. Instead, they just got the one against Tennessee, which leads us to the next four. You have your run of NFC East. And Miami. Now, Miami, much better than I think, certainly an overachieving team. But still, you have at Washington, the New York Giants, at Miami and Dallas. Two of those at home where you play significantly better. It, it was This is supposed to be the stretch where you make some hay and, and start to gain relevancy. So the question is, let's repeat this. How many... Do the Bengals win over the next four? Do they win zero to one, two, or three or more? Well, you the the value picks are zero to one or three or more because you've got you've got more chances for those to happen. But I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna run with two. I 
I, I, it, it would be ridiculous. Even though I think all three NFC East games are, are winnable. It, you, you, it's crazy to say they could go three and one over the next four games. Um, Miami is really good. I mean, I don't think this is a fluke. We, we saw them improve quite a bit last year down the stretch. I, Brian Flores uh, should be getting consideration for coach of the year. I, I don't, I don't see them going down there and winning that game. So, and I, likewise, I think 0 and 4 is almost more out of the question than, than 3 and 1. So I'll run, I'll run with two, I'll pass on three or more, and I'll, I'll boot 0 and 1. I will also run with two. It's just that feels right. And also, by the way, they, they step out of the AFC North, which they are awful. And um, they're a 500 team outside of the AFC North this year, <laughs> for whatever that does for you. Um, they, and they've played every game has been pretty close, and you know they've sort of been in it. They're just they're right there. And so to to think that okay, in these games, especially the NFC East games, they're kind of an NFC East team a little bit. Uh, you know I, that they would be able to win a couple, lose a couple, feels about right. I'm running with two as well. I'm with you. I'm gonna. I'm going to pass on zero to one. I think there's a chance this could go sideways. Um, you could see it. Um, but, and I'll, I'll boot, but I'll boot three or more just because I don't, I don't see them making one of those runs and I could be wrong. I mean, you know, you, you never know. I mean, if they come out and play the way they did during that three game stretch where the offense caught fire you know, they, they've proven that they can't. They're really struggling against these top, top defenses. The Baltimore and Pittsburgh just had their way with them. And maybe they'll learn from that stuff too. And they have a little bit easier stretch, though Washington's got a decent defense. Um, Miami has a decent defense. But, I mean, I think it's still an easier stretch. Uh, you could see the offense maybe catching some fire. and and and. But, you know, the idea, three and one, it still seems, still seems, I'm, it still seems less likely. So I'm booting that. So, but it's, it's a critical stretch. At some point you got to win games, you know, and they're at that point where this is the point where they have to win games or you start to have to answer that question. The one we talked about in our season preview episode, you wanted to come out of this year with the answer to a couple of questions. One, do I have my quarterback? Two, do I have my coach? You don't win games in these next four. You're not. You're really wondering if you're where you're at with number two, and what that means for him, for his staff. If you come through this four game stretch and you can't win tilts, at least a couple, uh, you know it's a bottom line business, man, and you can't be sitting here at the end of the year three twelve and one. No, and <laughs> I mean look. What's the line? Are they favored against Washington? I believe Washington's a one point one favorite. Point. But you got to feel it's they're going to be split, about an even split. You got to feel they're going to be favored against the Giants, and then depending on how things go, there's a good chance they could be favored against the Cowboys. Dallas. Yeah, I would think Dallas they would be. So really, this is the pivotal game at Washington because they go to Washington. If they can get a win, you you get that monkey off the back or your first road win under Zach. And you come home with a game that you should be favored in and you beat the Giants and they win two in a row for the first time in the Zach Taylor era. That's where you can really kind of see things start to start to build. 
but you go to Washington and lose. And then all of a sudden that, that giants game becomes way more important. And if, if that ends up being another close loss, like we've seen some of these last few games at home outside of the Tennessee game. Yeah. You could see this thing going sideways. I, I don't think it will, but I don't think it's out of the question either. No, I mean, would it be crazy if you saw them lose another and one game at this point? I mean, something like that where they play well but find a way to lose at the end? I mean, we, we're still yet to see them win a close game. Right. We're still yet to see them do that. Their wins have been games that they've essentially dominated. I mean... Tennessee, they dominated that game. It's a good team. It's good that you dominated them. But that we've still yet to see them have that ability to be in a close game, find a way to win at the end, get over that hump. That's going to be what this stretch is about because these games are going to be close. Are they going to continue to look like Indianapolis and Cleveland where you just invent ways to lose? If so, man, that's that's tough to run from. I don't care who you are. I don't care what organization, how much patience you have stocked up, how much you believe in some of the things that are being said, done, directions, the quarterback, everything. Losing close games over and over again is is a tough thing to run from. We've yet to see them do that, is find a way to win. And so that's, you know, that's still out there. That's still this thing that's out there right now for this team. So we'll see what happens. Otherwise, you know, you end up, with a top 10 pick, which gives me a chance to drop a little taste, just a little, un poquito, uh, just a little bit uh, of draft talk. And that is, I just wanted to throw this in here as we look at team needs and where this roster is at and where it will be at. You know, we, we have thought that they would just be taking an offensive lineman with their first round pick for a long time. But as other things happen, you start to wonder if you know they don't have any pass rush. And we'll see if they bring Carl Lawson back. I mean, I think they would like to, but who knows where that lands. Free agency, guys can go anywhere. It takes two. So, you know, they may not have Carl Lawson back. They hope to. Uh, but you know, Sam Hubbard is a, is a very nice player. I like Sam Hubbard a lot. I think he's a great piece on the end. They have no interior pass rush. They have no three technique. You know, you you at this point, I think it's safe to assume there's a pretty good chance they move on from Geno Atkins. Maybe not. Maybe they hold on to hope there that that a healthy 2021 brings back something for Geno. Um, but they need interior pass rush. They just don't have it either. So if you end up with the top ten pick, they are currently number picking number seven. If it's season ended today, run past or boot with me, Jay. We'll keep run past or booting here. Do the Bengals take offensive line? Defensive line or Jamar Chase, the shiny object to distract you from the meat and potatoes, right? Jamar Chase, Joe Burrow's number one receiver target from LSU, a freak, top 10 pick. Let's just say he's there. I mean, who, I'm not going to get into people. The draft the draft uh, gurus are right now. No, he's not going to be there. He's not going to be there. No, whatever. We're far enough out. We don't know where they're going to pick. Top 10. It's fine. Jamar Chase. Offensive line, defensive line. Let's say there's quality prospects there at each spot. And you had a piece talking to Dane Brugler about this, actually. Um, Last week? Two weeks ago? Last week. Last week, yeah. 
identifying the trenches, guys that would be available in the top 15 in the trenches. If so, if you're looking to watch, see who's available, all that stuff. Dane did a great job diving into that with you. And um, what would you do? Well, that's the thing. I was going to qualify it with where are they picking? So we don't know that. If if it's just top 10, my mind immediately goes to offensive line. But Dane talked about this, that this is not – this is not the top end heavy O line and D line classes that we've seen in recent years. That they're they're good classes. That the depth is there, but they don't have that top end talent. And and Sewell from Oregon's probably going to be a top, very high pick. You, you <laughs> yeah, think third, he's, fourth, depending on how many quarterbacks go? Yeah, I mean he's going to be. You, you wouldn't think the Bengals be picking there. Uh, and, a, and a lot also depends on what they do in free agency. I, I mean, just what we know now and, and what the, that draft class looks like, I, I'll run with Jamar Chase. I just think it's an offensive league. You're, you're going to be moving on from A.J. Green. You just forget forget that he played with Joe Burrow. That, that still would be an attractive piece to add. And then you throw in that relationship that they have, and it just feels like a no-brainer. Um, this – I mean, this franchise forever has been locked in on best player available rather than need. Um, I, I just, have they though? Well, have they? They say that because you're supposed <laughs> to say that. But year in and year out, we see them drafting for positional need in the early rounds. That's and maybe that's you can say best player available. That's because you view the best player for you through the lens of your positions only once. Really, the William Jackson pick is one of the only times we've seen them not draft for needs in the early rounds. Oh, and miss on a lot of picks, by the way. Sorry. I mean, Side John game. Ross was, yeah, they needed speed. Um, yeah, I don't know. It, it still, it feels like that's the direction they would go, that they, that they would go after another just great wide receiver. Like you mentioned, you pin, you pair him with Higgins and Boyd and, and Joe Mixon, and you, you've really got something now. Um, after that, I, I think they've they, there's not a lot of there's there's the three techniques are not there on the defensive line, and, and you're probably not going to find them in free agency. Maybe, maybe you can, but I, I still think it would be I would I would run with O line. Maybe they make a reach for a guy because it is a position of of such need, and then I'll boot D line. Um, I'd, I'd have to go back and look, but. I can't remember. Was Big Daddy the last defensive lineman they took in the in the first <laughs> oh, no. round? I mean, that's uh, just something. Yeah, it's been forever. They have, they have been as a as a franchise, uh, uh, almost philosophically opposed. It seems to taking defensive linemen in the first round. I mean, David um, Pollock was kind of that tweener defensive end yeah. linebacker, but yeah, like a true defensive lineman. I think Big Daddy might have been the last. Yeah, you know, or an edge rusher. You yeah. know, I mean, goodness. And you know, and there's there. You're right. Between free agency and the second half of the season, what are we going to learn about Quentin Spain? What are we going to learn about the return of Xavier Suafilo potentially? What are we going to learn about Hakeem Adeniji, uh, who at least has given you some hope that maybe he could be an answer down the line? Uh, you know, all of that stuff, I think, is still out there in play too. I, I get tempted. 
you know, this just feels like taking the cheese to me. And I and I have a lot of love for what Jamar Chase could be and with Burrow and, and then with Higgins and Boyd and Mixon. Man, you just get so excited about that, right? Um, but, man, are you going to take the cheese again? <laughs> like, you got to feed the trenches. The, it just doesn't – I mean, and again, it, it, obviously, this is, this is under the guise of, look, we don't know exactly – who's going to be there or where they're exactly going to be picking, you know? So it obviously, obviously it comes down to specific player, but you also could potentially have the chance to move back. If you wanted to add picks and still feed the position. I just, at some point value your offensive line more and, and hit, maybe we should be, you should probably be begging them not to take an offensive lineman in the first round at this point, considering the recent history. Yes, that has uh, not worked well. <laughs> oh, of course, really every position, they, every time they've tried to draft an <laughs> offensive line or any position in the first round outside of Burrow, I guess. Uh, you know, I'll say this. I mean, look, I, I just I just feel like they've got to feed the trenches, that you can't continue to ignore. It's just such an obvious problem on the team. You've got to invest there. It's so tempting. I think in free agency, you would have a better chance to add a nice piece as your third receiver um, as opposed to using a top 10 pick on a guy like Jamar Chase. And, and I mean, God, I mean, the idea of having him and Higgins together is just frightening, I'm sure. But it means nothing if you can't protect. And we all know how good Burrow has been when he's had time and how they can't beat these elite defenses that get after him because when he doesn't have time, it doesn't matter who's out there. Um, I don't know. This is a discussion that we'll have plenty of time for. It was supposed to just be a little bit. It was just more than a little bit. It's even got me too excited. Uh, so we'll we'll just we'll table this. I just wanted to wet everyone's whistle on draft talk because I know you guys want it, and I thought it was a fun little thought. All right, let's take a quick break here, and we'll be right back. Let's do some quick hits before we get out of here. Just on some news that's circulating um, around this team. Tack McKinley is back, back here going to be in the building. They they got him off wa- waivers, and he had to go through the protocols. So they didn't have him this weekend, but he'll be able to participate. Um, You know what? It's one of those positions, third and long, or passing situation. Uh, Tack, the call is go get the quarterback, right? So it's, it's not – there's not a lot of learning the defense that's necessary to give him a little role. You know, you can kick – Sam Hubbard, you know, inside and have Tack on the outside and Carl Lawson on the outside on the other side, and you can maybe feel like you're a little more dynamic as a pass rush, and maybe he can bring you something. I mean, that's it. I think that's what it is right now. You talked about it in the second half of the season where they're going to learn a lot more about those offensive line guys. That's the same with Tack McKinley. They they don't know him at all right now, and that's what this these last seven games they can figure out. You know, is he a guy that you you would assume he's a guy that can help you? That's why you signed him. But is he a guy that has a long term future here? And I I hesitate to mention this because I I can't remember who wrote it, but I thought it was really interesting. Um, someone caught up with Dan Quinn and they asked him about uh, Vic Beasley and about Tack McKinley and just about what went wrong in Atlanta altogether before he got fired. And what he said about Tack McKinley is that that he's he he's really good at the one thing he does best, but he has not been able to develop a changeup. 
And it's like a pitcher. If you just keep throwing fastball after fastball after fastball, they're eventually going to catch up with you and you're going to get shelled. You've got to come up with a, a change up, a secondary pitch when, when your best isn't working that you can kind of keep people off guard. And, and whether it was the Falcons inability to develop that in McKinley or McKinley's resistance to, to trying to do different things. That'll be one of the, well, that'll be something to interesting to watch when, when he gets here and see what Nick Eason and Lou Anarumo and the defensive coaches can do with him. If, if, if they can develop just more than being that speed guy off the edge, if, if he can do some more things, um, I, I, I mean, I think that's going to be one of the the more interesting things to watch in the second half of the season because it is such a position of need. They're so decimated there. And it, this guy, he's a first-round pick, just like you mentioned DeAndre Baker. That is a first. Now, they haven't signed him. This is all speculation, but I think they should go in and get him. I don't know. I guess you, you have to vet what happened. The whole situation with the the robbery and now the, the lawyer for the victims is has been arrested for extortion. You don't know if it was, if it really happened the way they said it did, but the lawyer just screwed up and tried to get more out of the victims, or if this was totally fabricated and DeAndre Baker is a hundred percent innocent charges have been dropped. It, it feels like a no brainer because that is not now rapidly defensive tackle has been a problem all year. Now all of a sudden cornerback is a huge issue for this team. It just makes too much sense to you bring in two former first round picks in the last four drafts. I, I mean, now you're, you're starting to, to build something and it, Deandre Baker has already cleared waivers. He was cut a long time ago. You, you, you don't have to sign him to that rookie deal that he signed with the giants. You can bring him in. You figure relatively cheap. Maybe it turns into a bidding war. Who knows? But I, I think both of those guys would be guys that, that, that could really add to this defense and it would make the second half a lot more interesting. Yeah, I'm. I mean, he's got to want to come here, right? And he's gonna he's gonna have other options on like you know good teams, and you also gotta you gotta under we we don't know. I don't know enough about the situation to speak intelligently on it. I know that the Bengals organizationally have always felt like, look, we kind of go by the letter of the law, and you know, no matter what not no matter what but you know if if the law and the world says that you are free to work and you are free to do whatever you want to do um they're interested <laughs> you know they're they're not going to they're, they're not going to deny you your ability to work if they think you can help them that also has been a thing though around here that you know how much of that fits in in the culture but again i don't know deandre baker the person and maybe they have better contacts through the draft prep they did with him or whatever um they do need help at corner maybe that's just all it is and and that can be something too um so yeah it's certainly worth kicking the tires on seeing if he'd have any interest to come in here certainly he could come in here and play right away and that would be something you could be hopeful for but i i'm, I'm probably less keen on it than you are um, that said, I mean, obviously it makes sense. I mean, Jalen Davis, Tony Brown, what are we doing? What are you talking about? You know, so obviously that makes sense. Somebody with a little bit more skill, pedigree, all that stuff makes sense coming in here. Another um, reason he hits yeah. the Bengals well is, I mean, you're always looking ahead. And if he comes in and he plays like a first round pick, all of a sudden he is contract leverage for Will Jackson next year. And it, it, it doesn't, 
Uh, yeah, not that they you start getting into long term con. I mean, what what I don't know. Latching yourself long term and call, calling him a number one. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know that that should scare or change anything with William Jackson. I, well, it just it it gives you the flexibility to to sit back and say, you know, this is our offer, take it or leave it. I, I know they like Will. I know Will's played well, but this team's always looking for a way to to you know save a buck, if you will, and that that would if he can come in and play well right away, then it just kind of, it, it adds a different dimension to the, to the will negotiations. And then the, then the, the irony of irony is if they do sign him this week, his first game is against his former team in the giants. Well, I assume he wouldn't be able to play. Well, no, yeah, cause Washington right. this week. Right. Then. Yeah. 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 We, yeah, we'll, we'll see how all this plays out. Um, Moving on, uh, we want to update Joe Burrow's health. Uh, Everything appears to be fine, at least according to Zach Taylor on Monday. He's a tough guy. He'll be fine. He should be good to go. We'll see if he shows up at all on the participation report on Wednesday, but sounds like all systems go for Burrow. I couldn't let it go, (laughs) so I had to go back. And and once the All-22 came out and take a, a deeper look at the hit, it blew me away even more than it did in real time. The and I asked Zach Taylor about this, and the you know getting thrown into the bench. Bo- I'm sorry, boosted. Let's just call it what Joe called it: <laughs> getting a boost into the bench from Bud Dupree and the play that rolled his ankle. And you see the ball well out of Burrow's hand as he throws to Drew Sample as he's running towards the sideline throwing against his body. Dupree chasing him, not touching him, by a decent distance not touching him with the ball clearly well out. I mean, halfway to Drew Sample, still not touching him. Five yards inbounds. Yet, as the play continues, five yards out of bounds... Dupree still has his hand riding Burrow out of bounds. And then he ends up thrown into the bench. I don't understand. There, there You see three officials. One, the back right official, whose sole responsibility is to only be looking for potential roughing or hits on the quarterback. That's what's only his job. It's his only job. And you see him, if you look, right there looking at it. I don't understand. And I, you know what? This has nothing to do with like, oh, making refs. This is not about the refs or the game. The Bengals got crushed. They deserved it. They were the worst team by far. This is about this play and this concept that has gone on all season. The Bengals can't get a flag to protect Joe Burrow. This goes back to the Philadelphia game. This go, this has gone on all year. And I just wonder why and what you got to see for that not to be the case. Was it a hard hit? No. But when you are riding a guy for 10 yards after the ball is well out and he gets slammed into the bench, the bench, all the way back there, he hits it, you know, WWE style. I don't understand how that happens. And to me, it's a broader picture of in a league where it's supposed to be all about protecting the quarterbacks, why is there no protection for Joe Burrow? Because he's a rookie? Is he supposed to take it? 
It's very weird. Is it because it's the Bengals? Is it because it's the Steelers? Like, you know, I know Bengals fans will say that, but it's a very weird development that we've seen this on repeat this year where it seemed, imagine that happened to Tom Brady. Imagine it. The Tom Brady for the Bucks. one, is running outside of the pocket. Two, <laughs> is taken for a 10-yard ride and tossed into a bench in Tampa. Let's let's imagine the reaction. It's it's weird to me. It's just a very weird thing. It's that I don't think was as severe as some of the other hits, if you want to say, you know, just the the glance of the head, that's always a, a personal foul. And and he took one of those, I think it was a Tennessee game and it didn't Tennessee. get called. Um yeah. there there've been numerous hits where you thought they should have been flagged. That one I think, first of all, it was it it was a a subtle shove, but the momentum of those guys running full speed, like Joe said, that was a boost that sent him flying. Um, you wonder, number one, it's a rookie quarterback, so Bud Dupree knows he's probably not going to get that call, and number two, you're up. By two scores late in the second quarter, if they do call it, ah, big deal. You sent a message. It was it was worth his it was worth the risk to to try to give him a little shove into the bench. And then the other thing is, you wonder about referees how they how they officiate these rivalry games. And it's like, can we throw a flag on a shove? We're going to end up throwing flags on everything. And I, I think there, there's there's kind of two ways to approach a, a rivalry game. Like when things got really ugly between the Bengals and Steelers, everyone was on high alert and it was like any little thing after the whistle was going to get called. And now that has all kind of died down. But I, I think these officials still know when they're going into a, a division game that it's, it, it can get pretty physical. And if you start calling shoves, you're going to have to start throwing flags on everything. I just, I think a lot of things lined up in that, in that case to, to not lead to the flag, but, but Zach's, Zach, in his anger, to your question, was, I mean, I, I get that. Because you, if any quarterback that's been in this league for a number of years, if if they get that little shove, they're getting that call. But I just think that the fact that it was a rivalry game, it's a rookie quarterback, it didn't, it didn't look that bad. He almost, I don't know if he did this on purpose or if it was just the motion of his body, but it almost looked like he gave a shove with one hand and then reached out for the other and acted like, Oh, I'm trying to hold him up and just couldn't get there to hold him up. Um, the whole thing was, I don't know if it was calculated or not, but that that's the way it looked that he's like, I'm going to take a shot here. I'm going to give him a little shove and send a message and dare them to throw the flag. The ball is well out before Dupree even needs to touch him. Right. There's no reason to even be touching him, so let's not excuse the shove. There's there's zero reason. The ball is well out, and it's football. I know, and it's not a hard hit. There's no there is zero reason for Dupree to be doing anything, much less an extended ten yard boost into the bench. Again, I'm not trying to belabor this, but it, to me, it, it's just an odd trend now this is sort of the latest in these where you just wonder like what what is going on why can they not get protection for their quarterback particularly when you see him hurt his ankle getting tossed into a bench completely ridiculously unnecessarily but that's neither here nor there let's move on before i 
<laughs> going down this path. Um, all right. Uh, offensive line going forward for right now. I mean, I think there's obviously a lot of optimism about Jonah Williams being back, but I think it's concerning a guy with a stinger all of a sudden can't play when that there was a lot of hope that he was thinking he was going to even being active stingers or scary stuff. You don't want to take chances with those. Um, will another week be the difference of feeling safe about that? I guess we'll see. Um, the good news is I think they feel a little bit more confident with Akeem Adeniji, uh, as he plays fairly well there at left tackle. What do we, uh, I asked Zach about this yesterday and I think it's true. I mean, it seems every week you're just you're undoing the pieces and putting the, the puzzle back together. Where does the puzzle end up with against Chase Young and the Washington football team? Yeah, I, I think the, the Jonah thing, I think that they they figured if he's not 100%, why put him out there against T.J. Watt and Bud Dupree? And that I, I think that played into it. What I think we'll see going forward is – once Jonah does get back healthy, that I think we're going to see Quentin Spain replace Alex Redman. I mean, another penalty for Alex Redman. Um, Quentin Spain has proved in two very tough situations that that he could he is a quality offensive lineman playing guard after being here for forty eight hours and then playing tackle for starting at tackle for the first time in his life and holding up against a good Steelers defense. Um, the, the Bobby Hart question's still out there. I, if he'll be ready again, they didn't put him on IR. So you, you figure he's, he's probably close. Um, I don't know. It, it, it is still, there's a lot to juggle there, but I, I think like Zach said, you want, you want that continuity. They, they need to get it figured out. And it just feels to me that's the way they're going to go is Jonah goes back to left tackle. Adeniji can play right tackle if if Bobby Hart can't go. I was impressed with Adeniji. He looked athletic out there. He 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 did a a, a good job against T.J. Watt. Um, and Dupree had a lot of Dupree snaps too. And, and yeah, you're right. You're right. It was a lot of Dupree. Um, I I don't know. It, it, Michael Jordan is the big question for me is because he was again not very good. And how how much longer do they do they stick with him? Um, Quentin Spain needs to be starting at one of those two guard spots, and I guess they they have to figure out who's the bigger liability there in, in Redmond or Jordan. Yeah, I mean, I think when I think the thing is when Xavier Suofilo is healthy, I think you can go with Spain and Suofilo at your two guard positions. With Spain's natural position being left guard, Suofilo's play was playing right guard at the right. start of the season, and you can go with Williams. Uh, Spain, Hopkins, Suofilo, and you know, I guess it's Bobby Hart or Fred Johnson or Akeem Adenji as your swing, your backup, your swing tackles. Um, if you need them, I mean, to me, and I know there's lots of love for Michael Jordan. They have a lot of love for Michael Jordan, and that they may not be able. You know, it's a, this is a, when you get into the case of their guys, right? How quickly can you pull off of your guy? They're quick to pull off, not their guys. Mm-hmm. We know that. Uh, we've seen that. Um, but how quickly do they pull off their guys? And Michael Jordan is one of their guys they really believed in. And will they pull off of him and see that he's not as good an option as a guy like Quentin Spain, who's come in and been impressive in a really challenging circumstances here? Um, so I, 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 that's to me, that's where it should end up. And I think it probably inevitably does. 
I think it probably inevitably does. But again, you know, injuries week to week. Every week's a new puzzle. Uh, for now, it's mostly about health, I think, and they'll put the puzzle back together. Um, all right, I'm gonna I'm gonna wrap it up with that. We don't need to go further. I'll just we'll go one quick growler bet setup. Um, shout out Ryan to Colby. Congratulations. You're the latest person to make us pay for beer. Uh, we had the the sack yards times Bengals points. Thought that was going to be a hard one to get. Ryan Tocolvi hits 280 on the nose as the final number. That was the growler bet from Thursday. It was the final number. We did not specify getting the exact sack yardage and total points, of which he did not. He had 20 Bengals points and 14 sack yards. Technically, he is correct. Technically, we asked for the final number. For the final number, we shouldn't punish people for showing their work. And I won't. But I want to. I've, <laughs> a lot of people just sent in that final number. Like, yes. very few people show their work, and, and we've done this in the past. So, a lot of the growler bets are are mathematic form formulas where it's either something plus something or something times something or um we 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 have gotten pretty elaborate with some of these growler bets and uh yeah i'm i have no problem with him hitting it on the nose even if he was off um it 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 was it was 280 he had 280 no issue whatsoever um yeah enjoy the beer. you are a professional arbiter of bets so, I mean, I think that you, you know, this is, this is your wheelhouse. I'll, I, and I agree. I agree. Inevitably, at the end of the day, I, I agree with you. I just, how does this keep happening? All I got to say to you people out there is this. You are not going to like Thursday's growler. <laughs> and you are not going to get this. I am going to go as deep into the impossible wheelhouse as I can. Do everything I can to keep you guys. From making me buy you growlers of 50 West. I, I need growlers for myself. So shout out Ryan to Colby. Congratulations. We'll be in touch. Are you going to make us divide fractions? Oh, you don't even know what I'm going to make you do. <laughs> yes. This, I mean, we may go to the fourth decimal. I mean, this is going to go deep. Just be ready. Be ready for that. Uh, all right. So thanks to everybody for listening as always. And thanks to everybody that subscribes to The Athletic. We love having you. Whether you like the Bengals, whether you like the Reds, whether you like the Premier League, you want to read about Everton becoming Everton again. They were at the top of the table and now it's all falling apart. But, I, you know, great writers covering the Premier League, of course, and NBA. Sham season is here. He's breaking news all over the place, writing about it inside all the NBA talk that's going on, trades. You name it, MLB, uh, hot stove heating up, lots of stuff there. Trent's killing it, as always. Um, you know, all under one umbrella, one low price per month. Come on in. Go to theathletic.com slash hear that podcast ground, and you can subscribe. Please do. We'd love to have you in. All right, thanks everyone for listening. We will talk to you on Thursday on The Growler. Have a good one, everybody. Everybody.